Welcome, welcome to Black Girls Texting. Tea is steadily spilled in our group chat, and each week we're letting you in on it. I'm Chels Pinky, also known as the Washing Machine Queen. I'm Glenn at Bedstab Rat. And I'm Shade at Black Girls Texting. And today we are joined by the owner of 10 to 1 Rum, Mark Farrell. He's a Trini. <laughs> you got that right. You got that more or less right. They're working on that Trini accent. Yes. So Mark Farrell is a proud Trinidadian and the founder and CEO of 10 to 1 Rum, as I mentioned. So Mark's unique combination of deep cultural ties to Caribbean culture and intimate knowledge of the U.S. consumer market have propelled him to elevate the conversation around rum and bring an inspired new product to the market. And prior to launching 10 to 1 Rum, you were actually a you got a pretty fancy resume going on here. A number of roles. <laughs> okay. um, you were at Starbucks and you were the youngest vice president, um, e-commerce, U.S. retail lobby and beverage innovation. A lot of random things. Joined yeah. the exec team with Howard Schultz. That's, 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 what, that's, that's what they're saying. That's what's in the paper. <laughs> okay. That's as well idea. as earlier professional stints at Fidelity Equity, Bain Co. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, Co. that was the first stop. Just casually attended MIT at age 16. Crazy. Followed mm-hmm. by Cambridge University, HBS, Harvard Business School. But Let's it go. seems you, 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 no matter what, you came back to your roots, huh? <laughs> but uh, we're, back, we're back home where we feel comfortable, you know? Uh, <laughs> I love that journey. I'm, we're, we're definitely going to get into that. Yeah, yeah for, sure. about for sure. Um, but before we get into all of that, I would love to just hear more about your business and the rum. And if you could give our listeners a little bit of the background story of your company. Yeah, super, super happy to, you know. Uh, well, first of all, let me just say what a pleasure it is to be hanging out with all you ladies, chatting a little bit this evening. Um, you know, big fan of what you guys are doing. So thanks for having me on to chat a little bit. Um, so, you know, 10 to 1 rum, that's my, that's my baby, obviously. Uh, you know, we launched just about a year ago uh, here in New York. But, but I always tell people that the story for the brand uh, begins in Trinidad and Tobago, right? So that's where that sing-song accent that, uh, that Shade, was, uh, <laughs> Shade was repping a little while ago comes from, you know? Um, and I always, I, I, I always say that, you know, for me, as somebody who grew up in Trinidad, born and raised there, but has actually spent the better part of the last 20 years now living between the U.S. and the U.K., um, I've, I've, I've always kind of seen a, a pretty significant gap between the way that rum, rum culture, even Caribbean culture, are brought to life where I'm from versus the way that I see it often represented uh, here in this market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I think, I, think, I think for too long, um, rum has really kind of been limited to this very narrow set of occasions, right? People think of it as like a, like a spring break um, low low value sort of high calorie spirit i think the the, the brand narrative around it um pretty caricaturized a little bit tropish sometimes i talk about this idea of pirates and plantations really being the things that are conjured up in people's minds when they often think about rum um and at the heart of it 10 to 1 wants to um disrupt all of that right we want to challenge consumer perceptions we want to challenge expectations uh, we want you to reimagine the way that you think about you think about rum. 
And a big part of the way that we imagine doing that is not only by, by elevating the spirit to so the quality of the juice that's in the bottle itself, and I'll talk a little bit about those, um, but also around the, the, the brand narrative that surrounds 10 to 1. And so we talk a lot about this idea of bringing a much more contemporary view of Caribbean culture to market, right? So I'm kind of doing away with the old um, post-colonial vestiges and some of those old tropes and bringing a much more modern, much more, um, I think, somewhat refined view of, 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 that, of that Caribbean culture that I know that I love, that many others like myself are well-versed in and familiar with. Yeah. Um, gosh, when you said that, when we talked a little bit before we had our official interview, you were mentioning some of the associations that people have with the rum, and it, it, I thought about college nights and just like, there were times when I was like, oh, I'll never drink rum again. Like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, you know, it's funny you say that, Glenn, because, like, there, there's so many, I, I always say that, like, I, I meet so many people in, in, in market here whose rum journey kind of just fell off a cliff after college, right? Like, partying, yeah. spring breaks, hazy nights, can't really remember what went down, swore <laughs> off the spirit, never went exactly. back again, right? But, 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 but that's unique, so unique to rum, because, you know, if you look at the renaissance around every other spirits category, right, over the last 5, 10, 15 years, um, starting way back when with vodka, premiumized and elevated, tequila multiple times now, mezcal more recently, American whiskey, gin, right? Like in all of those, there is a continuum. Maybe there's the, the plastic bottle version that we all drank in college, but you kind of migrate to some more elevated expressions over time. Um, 10 to 1 wants to be that for your rum journey. So I'm trying to bring you back into the fold, and I'm trying to get you back yeah. and convince you that no, you when got you're me. in college, we got something <laughs> a little different. You know? That's such a good yeah. point. Did y'all ever drink Caribou Lou? <laughs> I, I did not. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> tell, for, us, tell us about for, it. You know, tell folks that like don't know, there's literally house. a song, and it's like 151 rum pineapple juice and blah 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 and it's like <laughs> oh yeah you always used to make those actually yeah I, <laughs> I used to always make caribou loo. so caribou loo is literally like 151 rum malibu yeah and then like a pineapple juice and some type if you want to add like a coconut cream or something yeah and it's just as Send you can you imagine away. a recipe for yeah. disaster exactly send you away immediately <laughs> Like you, so, you what? already got one fifty one. You don't have to put Malibu in there too. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you have anything else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No thanks. What drinks can we make with ten to one rum? I know when we spoke earlier, you were talking mm -hmm. about how many you know classic drinks there are that can kind of be replaced. The spirit can be replaced, and you can use a rum. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so, so you asked me to describe ten to one in a single word. Oh, well, uh, I'd say versatile, really elevated and versatile are the two words that we use, right? So, um, to talk a little bit about both expressions, so we have a dark and a white, right? Um, our ten to one dark rum is a blend from four countries. So, this, this idea of doing a, a pan Caribbean blend, um, rum from Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, and the Dominican Republic. Our dark rum is is an eight year old rum. Uh, it's aged in ex-bourbon barrels, uh, so very much so we say like it's, it's a bourbon lover's rum or whiskey lover's rum. Um, no added sugar, no color, no flavoring, right? So um, I'm going back to Glenn's point about all those college rums, you know, um, people have this perception that rum is kind of uh, overly sweet, highly caloric. That's not the case with, our, with, our, with, our, with either of our expressions. Um, with the dark rum, uh, the ways that I would see you drinking it, um, certainly uh, neat on the rocks, uh, yeah, shout out to the label. Uh, neat on the rocks, splash of soda water, um, rum and coconut water is also incredible, right? Because, because when we created this brand, my thing was, you have to introduce it to market in a way 
that allows it to be, it, 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 should, it, it should express itself um, in, a, in a really elevated fashion on its own, even before you get into cocktails. So again, neat rocks, soda water, coconut water, even some tonic water, those are all great sort of like, as your starter kit, what we call the origin serves. But in terms of cocktails, right, um, with the dark rum, rum old-fashioned is incredible, like incredible. Anybody who likes old-fashioned, go out and try that now. Um, Manhattan, uh, Negroni, you know, actually you can make a daiquiri with the dark rum as well. Really, really versatile spirit. Um, with the white rum, that one we think is a game changer in its own right. It's also a blend uh, from uh, Jamaican pot still rum alongside Dominican column still rum. Uh, Jamaican rums are known for being very like, 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 uh, High, uh, funky, very bold, they're usually higher proof. Um, rum nerds like me will like those, but they kind of end up being a little bit inaccessible for, for everyday consumers. And so we took some of those notes that we loved uh, in a big, bold, funky Jamaican rum. We balance it alongside the Dominican column still, so it drinks extraordinarily well, right? You're gonna get some of those grassy notes, but it combines amazingly with soda water, coconut water, crushes it in a daiquiri, which by the way, a daiquiri is just rum, citrus, simple syrup the simplest and most elegant cocktail you can make. Also great in a Negroni. Um, uh, if you were a tequila or a mezcal drinker, try our white rum in place of your tequila and a margarita. Make a rummarita instead. And then, you're, and then you're off to the races. Hopefully that, hopefully that answered your question. No, it did. Yes. Were you the one in, you know, at HBS making all the drinks? Were you always into, you know, mixology and how they tasted and everything? At HBS, I was probably the one drinking all the drinks. Um, okay. <laughs> you, have to, you, have to, you have to edit that part out for my mom when she listens to this. <laughs> but um, but I've, always been, I've always been very social in nature, you know? Like, I like, um, I love connection, however that comes to life. Actually, one of the things that was, the, the, one of the most amazing elements of that experience at HBS was this ability to just, like, you know, um, have such an amazing, like-minded group of friends, close friends, brothers, sisters of mine at this point, um, who I shared so many amazing experiences with. And so, yeah, you know, we're out traveling, partying, doing all the social stuff. Um, um, but, you know, one of the things that I was, when I graduated from HBS, it was 10 years ago now, one of the things I was almost a, a, little, a little jealous of when it came to some of my some of my, my peer group was some of my friends who were from some of like these bigger emerging markets, right? Like let's say they were from Turkey or, or Brazil or, or, or India, certainly China as well. And they were going back home to build a business or attack a problem that was specific to where they were from, you know? And in my head, I was like, well, shit, you know, like, I'd love to be able to do that, but obviously Trinidad is um, uh, on a much smaller scale. I mean, not geographically, not, not culturally, of course, or population-wise, um, than some of those are. And will I ever have an opportunity, opportunity to do something similar? And one of the amazing things about now being able to create 10 to 1 is that it finally feels like I found an opportunity to do that, right? Like, I got to have a chance to tell a story of not just Trinidad, but of the Caribbean, of, of our culture, the way that I see it and bring it to life in an entrepreneurial setting, much like a number of my other friends and colleagues have done, have done over time, you know? Yeah, and you are the only Black-owned rum brand, correct? Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think one of very few. Well, yeah. <laughs> one of very few. You know, I, 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 I hesitate to say only about anything because you never know who's out there doing what. Um, I think what's more significant about that reflection is just the fact that obviously for a long time, Again, if you look at it as a, you know, if, if you go back to the history of rum, right, um, go back to the, 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 the old triangle trade, literally, you know, 
slaves, sugar and molasses, rum, and then you start all over again, right? Um, a deep colonial history, clear Caribbean roots, um, but it isn't or hasn't typically been associated, at least from like an ownership standpoint, um, with folks who identify as being from the region, right? So yeah, as a, clearly as a black man, as a young black man, as a young black man from the Caribbean, um, this feels pretty important, right? Like again, going back to this, not to repeat myself, this idea of kind of telling our story and celebrating our culture in a specific way, um, is certainly really exciting to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to bring up the, the, the name of the company, 10 to 1. Um, I know on our call earlier, you were explaining that the origin story had to do with the entire Caribbean. Do you want to describe mm -hmm. that to our listeners? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So listeners, this is the story behind 10 to 1. Um, you know, the name actually um, draws its inspiration from the original Caribbean Federation, which consisted of 10 countries. So it's the idea, uh, I should say, by the way, English-speaking Caribbean, right? So the, the old British West Indies. So it's the idea of um, 10 countries becoming one. And as Trinidad's prime minister at the time said, uh, one from 10 equals zero. And, when, and the idea being that, you know, if you remove one from the collective, the entire thing falls apart. And so we kind of use that inspiration to really reference this ideal um, of, of community, strength in numbers, this notion that we are stronger together than we are apart, right? Um, um, if you actually look at the, if, 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 you, if our listeners were sort of holding a bottle in front of them right now, they'd also see that with the design TTO for 10 to 1, um, uh, that also is Trinidad and Tobago's country code. So there's a nice little shout out to the home country. That's a part of the way that we've kind of contemplated the design and, and the creative suite. Um, but everything about it is, is super intentional, right? Like even the side label on the bottle references these old shipping labels, right? From the days of sugarcane making its way from the Caribbean through the ports of Europe. We, we re repurposed that to tell the story of the bottle and of the blend. Um, and our logo is actually the Scarlet Ibis, which is a national bird of Trinidad also. So, 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 so with, with the design of the bottle, I wanted to be super intentional and really challenge this idea that like to be from the Caribbean, it, it means it has to have like like a map of the islands on it or like a pirate ship on it you know like you could have something that looks super dope very elevated very contemporary really modern and still be grounded in these ideas of caribbean history culture and heritage right i, I think we managed to accomplish that with the design that we have yeah the bottle's beautiful um what you said reminded me a lot about what's happening right now i mean in our world in terms of how strong we are when we are all together and I was even reflecting on my own family and my own lived experience as a first-generation Trinidadian Venezuelan woman and um, how you know I'm so proud of those things but right now I feel like it's really the time to rep my blackness if that makes sense mm -hmm. and um, like there's a time and a place how do you feel you know given the climate as being a black man living in this country, but being born in Trinidad. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, um, to me, those two things coexist. To be honest, you know, um, like, like, yeah, I'll tell you something. I, I said this actually to, um, I said this to a few folks over time. One of them was actually to Howard when, when we first met uh, before I started at Starbucks, and I, I was telling him about this idea of having a speaking role versus a non-speaking role in life, right? What I meant by that was, I, I, was, I was reflecting to him that it was sometimes interesting 
how I would get treated in certain circumstances. When I had a speaking role, I, you could hear my accent and you go, oh, he's foreign, he's from somewhere, he's from Trini, he's exotic, versus a non-speaking role, right? Where I'm just walking down the street, walking into a department store, having a seat at a restaurant or what have you, right? And I mean, I like to talk, I like to socialize, but still the majority of my time in this country is in a non-speaking role. So mm -hmm. I understand very well, very intimately what it is like to exist as a black man in uh, Boston, New York, uh, Seattle, uh, you know, Miami and all the other places that I've been to all around the country, right? So I have a great deal of, and I, I came here in 1999 as a 16-year-old. So I have a great deal of resonance, a great deal of empathy for what we, we, I say we, are struggling with right now, right? In addition to that fact, like let's go back to the Caribbean, our Caribbean roots. Um, that same legacy of 400 plus years of struggle and turmoil and strife is equally relevant in Trinidad or Barbados or Jamaica or Guyana as it is here, right? So, so having that context for your own history, understanding your own struggle, and figuring out like where those points of resonance and identification are here, to me actually feels like, a, like, a, like, a, like an easy thing to do, you know? Um, I, I, I hear you on some of the differences between, you know, obviously kind of being from the Caribbean versus maybe born and raised there. Like if you look at some of the, um, some of the stuff we've actually been posting on our Instagram recently, we, you know, we did a post the other day with Martin Luther King, um, next to Comet um, Toure, right? Um, Stokely yep. Carmichael. I was going to say Stokely there, Carmichael. Right? Mm -hmm. right? Trini, born and raised in Trini, yep. but moved up there, right? Was, was right there alongside Martin Luther King in the midst of the civil rights movement. So in a mm -hmm. very fundamental way, right? Um, their struggle, I say there in air quotes, if you can't see me, their struggle is our struggle, right? And we've been there, you know, for decades, um, if not centuries at this point. So, um, no, I... I, I you know, Trini or not Trini, I look at what's happening right now with the same level of, of well, I guess the same cocktail of emotions, right? Like, like anxiety, uh, anger, confusion, optimism, um, hope, right? All the things that I think we've all been feeling as Black people over the last several weeks, if not more, right? Yeah, I love that you said that. And I feel like it's definitely a time for us to all, all look back on our history and understanding that, like, there has been so many Caribbean people involved in civil rights movements, whether that's in the States or like Maurice Bishop in Grenada or like Marcus, Marcus Garvey. Garvey. Marcus yeah, Garvey. Exactly. exactly. So like there's so many instances of individuals and, and Stokely Carmichael particularly, like I was just learning more and more about him as I, I talked about this on our um, previous episode talking about Black Lives Matter and learning more about Ella Baker, learning more about SNCC um, SNCC is the uh, Student, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh, he Trini? <laughs> <laughs> Tell you, we're everywhere, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. Trini's popping up, we pop up in everything. So, yeah. No, I think it's beautiful. But then, you know, just let's have the conversation. Mm -hmm. I also see things like, there was this whole thing on Twitter and we don't have to get into the details, but it was uptown in New York where a lot of Dominican Americans um, were yelling, you know, like, don't, we don't mess with that black lives matter stuff, whatever. Um, and I was like, it's, it's sad that that exists in the Caribbean where, you know, we are also black, you know, mm -hmm. we're just black. We, we were still a part of the slave trade, just not here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Completely. But yeah, I love I that you know. the page is highlighting the participation of, you know, Black people globally. 
yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, you know. And I think um, <laughs> this is actually previewing something we're going to share next week. But I was looking at an old, um, uh, an excerpt from an old uh, Derek Walcott poem, right? Derek Walcott, you know, from St. Lucia, Nobel laureate, etc. But but the reflection in the poem kind of talked about um, in the Caribbean, uh, our it, 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 it's a paraphrase. It kind of reflects on the fact that we almost seem reticent to kind of acknowledge our past, right? And how little we sort of celebrate. Um, the heroes uh, that, that were part of those moments that, that got us to where we are today. And, 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 and he says it very poetically about the lack of like statues and, and <clears throat> monuments and heroes that you kind of see dotted around the islands, right? And I, I'm only reflecting on that in this conversation because I think it's equally appropriate and equally true when you think about our circumstance here in the U.S. as well, right? Like, like doing more, as you ladies were just saying, doing more to like dive back into our past, right? Like understand our collective history, right? Like how did we get there? What did the struggle look like? What can we learn from it? How can we kind of like use those experiences to drive us forward? Uh, to me, it doesn't matter whether you were born in Trinidad or born in, or born in the Bronx. Like there's a level of shared experience that comes from that for sure. Yeah, and I think it also, it really sadly comes down to education and a lot of like internalized racism that I at least will give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt of growth there. Um, just because like understanding the history of the DR and that like literally intentionally trying to whiten a society probably has a lot of years of negative impact. So I'm, I'm like, I want to address it and I want people to be mindful of it, but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost giving them. I'm but they were that. getting the heat, but it's not just DR. You know what right. I mean? No, 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 absolutely not. But I'm saying like, I, I am trying to be, I guess a little bit more patient with other people of color than I am with white people, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Um, and I say that because unfortunately Across the board, a lot of this has been in, in, ingrained in us, and, and that includes like white supremacy and white people bending, bidding off of white supremacy. However, I feel that a lot of the ways in which white people have benefited from white supremacy is, in my opinion, significantly more obvious than your grandma being like, oh, you have bad hair, oh, you need to marry, you know, to to clean the white in the race and that just being like a normalized thing and and maybe that's ignorant or naive of me to say but that's just how I personally feel I, you know I think it's uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I I hear that and I think that it's going to take us a little bit of time um to help everyone kind of calibrate and by calibrate I mean sort of figure out how you come to grips with what this moment in time means and what role you are going to play in sort of moving this thing forward, right? And there are people who are black, white, everything in between who might be standing on the sidelines right now, sort of apathetic, doing nothing. You have some people like Chelsea mentioned who, um, you know, might be actively disassoci disassociating themselves from that movement, right? Who, again, yeah, for all those reasons, you know, we talk about like, like this is not, this is not two weeks, two months, two years, right? This is decades long, generations long, uh, uh, type of a setting that has infiltrated people's consciousness in, uh, in, in, a, in a host of different ways. So like what you're saying there, Shadi. So I think, yeah, I think we need a little bit of time with it, um, for sure. And I, and my hope would be right. So I see that, you know, um, some of those same folks who maybe are caught on camera saying some unreasonable things, you know, maybe we'll look at it a little bit different 
differently, you know, a few, a few months from now, right? I think, um, you know, hopefully they don't get caught in the wrong side of history here because I think that's where they'd be headed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I sure hope so. Um, I think also on Instagram and on Twitter, we're seeing a lot of brands get kind of called out uh, mm-hmm. for not having a diverse um, pe- a group of people in their corporate boards or whatever it might be. Um, but we met some of your team and your team is super diver- diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering how important you thought or you think that is to the success of your brand? I think, I think, it's, I think it's instrumental. I think it's critical. I think it's, and I think that's true for any brand, um, not unique to rum or spirits or anything. Like the more diversity of perspective you have, the better, right? Um, yeah, you know, we have everything. White, black, Indian, Jewish, tall, short, male, female, like, and, and we're a tiny team, right? And we already kind of have that, which is, which is awesome. You know, um, like, like we've seen, we were discussing at Starbucks as well. And, and, you know, Howard, Howard at the time. And um, it's a real credit. I mean, you know, we're very focused on sort of building among the senior leadership ranks some additional diversity. Um, the Starbucks board is actually ex- extremely diverse since a female presence, minority presence, et cetera. Um, but like what those opportunities would look like. Because, yeah, you want, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. You want some, you want some additional um, perspective or some unique perspective being brought to the table. So to me, it's kind of a, it's a non-starter, you know. Um, when we, when we created the brand, right, and I, I, you, you kind of, as, as you talked about some of these brands that are rushing to show up diversity all of a sudden, right? Like, like our dream should be, I, I hope there's a day when this is even a conversation because it's just something you just do intuitively. You don't have to think about, let me go look for some black people. It's like, oh, well, you know, black people, they're talented, they're cool. Like I want them to be part of this setup, you know? Um, when we created the brand, I'll show you our original business plan right, from two, three years ago. The, the brand had three pillars, right? And the three pillars were um, um, beauty in the blend, right? Beauty in the blend references this idea that, I mean, of course, the rums themselves are blends, but also um, the blend of cultures, communities, perspectives that are all seated around the table that we call 10 to 1, right? <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. Um, so, so beauty in the blend is always going to anchor for, like, the vision that we've had for what we wanted to create. Um, the next pillar, uh, Caribbean made. You know, Caribbean made, um, the, the way I always describe Caribbean made is, uh, you know, you don't have to be from Trinidad with a Trini passport to be Caribbean made, right? Like if your mother or your grandmother is from the Caribbean, uh, that to me is Caribbean made. I know, I know exactly, right? <laughs> I know that resonates. I know that resonates right there. That is Definitely dancing now. <laughs> if you've been to Trini Carnival three times, you've fallen in love on the beaches of Montego Bay, that to me is Caribbean made. If you grew up in the Bronx, Harlem, Brooklyn. Lynn right? is Caribbean made. Caribbean made. Then you're in the mix. You're, that's what I'm saying. You're in the mix. Like, like, but seriously, if you grew up around Caribbean music, Caribbean fashion, art, food, like that inspiration, that to me is Caribbean made. So we want to wrap our arms around a much broader definition, a much broader, more exclusive, more inclusive, I'm sorry, um, definition of what it means to be Caribbean made, right? So to me, if you do that well, you do beauty in the blend well. Our third pillar, which is the art of celebration, then says, I mean, every, every spirits brand wants to celebrate, right? So we're trying to be super unique with that. But I think that if you do those first two well, the way in which your celebration comes to life, the people that you have sitting at that table when you celebrate, right, begins to look and feel a little bit different. So just kind of back to your question, to me, this, this notion of being diverse and having a, having a, um, um, a broad swath of whatever society or whatever sitting around the table of the business and the brand and our community has always been really critical. I would almost argue though that 
not every spirit in my opinion has a has a sense of celebratory association like when i think of whiskey sometimes or like yeah, scotch yeah. i'm like yeah. That that's like a feel... quiet bar sitting yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. but and but i well, wonder to your point is that where some of the the more negative connotations are, around rum being able to be elevated come from because people can't like envision just like sitting in their study with like their glass yeah. of rum yeah with your, your you know smoking jackets and like right. all your dark woods and like you know a cigar exactly. shit, right like like um I'm not sure if I can say bad words on, on this, but yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. All right, all right, all right. So, um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you say that, like, you're not sure that that's celebration. Based on the way that I celebrate, I agree with you. Um, but I know that other people who might think of that as their celebration, right? They're not trying to be out in the streets, you know, um, running super hard, doing anything really high energy. So, yeah, it's a function of, 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 of what you would make it. And I think um, with rum, the stereotype has always been celebration, like, you know, hanging from the rafters, like, like, like party boats, spring break, shots everywhere, which is, yo, if that's what you want to do, that is, that is cool. And God knows we all had our moments in time doing that, right? But it can be so much more than that. And so when we talk about this idea of trying to elevate the category, elevate the spirit, that's what 10 to 1 um, is really designed to do. So, you know, you can find those moments of celebration. Um, <clears throat> one, of the early things we, one of the other early things we talked about was this idea of high-low. Right. And I was saying that, you know, to me, um, you know, our our consumer um, is, is, is socially and culturally fluid. Right. Like they don't go and buy like whatever. They don't like look at a, they don't go and buy like a fit off a rack and say everything has to be like all Gucci all day. Right. Like you do it mixed modes, mixed styles, mixed price points. Right. Like 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 defining and carving out your own path is the thing that actually matters the most like that to me is the consumer that really reson resonates with what we are trying to do and hopefully that's the kind of person that identifies likewise with with the brand that we're trying to build you know um i, I guess like glenn <laughs> no i saw chelsea too um i remember also when we were talking you were mentioning this idea of like liming as a way of celebration can you talk to our listeners about what that means and what that is for those that don't know yeah <laughs> well, I mean, you know so um probably like if you if you went to Trinidad and you had to learn one word right so you walked away like with a single word it probably would be that right like liming you know liming can be liming can best be described as like 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 the act of or the art of hanging out is uh, kind of how Americans say it, where we're hanging out. But it's, it's so much more than that because it really is a part of like the essence, the fabric of our, of our lives, right? Like, like, like it's kind of, it's how you go about it. Um, it's, it's, it is, uh, liming is so unique in the very fact that it has no real rules, right? You almost sort of just learn it by osmosis. You kind of fall into it. You sort of know when you're doing it. The very spontaneity of liming is what makes it unique and makes it extraordinary, right? Like, Trinayans are not super planful. Um, we take a lot of pride in that. You know, it's like you might, you know, you, you go down the road to your auntie's house or, you know, um, by granny and then another cousin stops by and you fall into a little conversation. Then one of your old friends from school back in the day might be coming by. So he then stops saying or she stops saying, right? Next thing you know, um, somebody has a bottle of rum that they bring out, right? Drinks are being poured. You know, we all have 
Caribbean people, we all love food. So, you know, whoever's in the kitchen now making one part, two parts, three parts. And then before you know it, right, like, you know, you fast forward, it's two o'clock in the morning, right? You, you plan to swing by for 10 minutes. It's now four, five, six hours later. Um, old friends, new friends, you know, swapping stories, everybody freely laughing, making fun of one another. Um, and that to me is kind of the essence of, 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 of lining, you know? Um, when I tend to reflect on celebration in a Caribbean context, I always tell people that, um, and, and you know, obviously Trini is what I know best, but I think it's true in the, in the Caribbean. Um, it can take on so many different forms, right? It could be um, on an epic scale, like Trinidad Carnival. It could be super small. You and two or three friends kind of sitting down lining, as I just mentioned, right? Um, doing your little thing, maybe at the banks of a river, having a drink or whatever. Um, it could be highbrow and fancy. It could be super lowbrow and basic, right? Um, but, but, but we take pride and we take joy in all of those different types of celebration. And that to me is one of the real beauties of, you know, obviously growing up there, living, from there, living there and embracing that culture, really kind of wherever you go. I love that. It's like so organic and natural and sounds yeah. like based on being fully present, based on being with the people that are around you. And it's so interesting to think about that now when we can't even be yeah exactly community Chelsea we can't even gather in those ways and that's definitely been something I've been missing the most during yeah, this me time too, me too, me connection too. right I know coming soon <laughs> yeah yeah we hope we need it to be soon um have you seen the hashtag black in the ivory I have yeah of course um, so I wonder if you could speak to, cause we like to talk about things that are current, um, as well. Mm -hmm. If you could speak to, you know, if any experiences that you may have had, uh, as it relates to that hashtag. He was really up in the ivory. I've been hanging out in the ivory for a minute, you know? <laughs> I was like, I'm just oh. imagining all the girls being like, Mark, your accent. That's right. The accent and the and rocking the glasses, that little combination has been has been has been useful. But um <laughs> well, let's talk <laughs> but let's let's fo let's focus on the ivory tower. So um no like uh, MIT, Cambridge, Harvard. Um, Bain and company, um, so a lot of love for Bain, um, and even sort of part of the executive team at Starbucks. So a lot of different stops along the way that I think would, would fall under that, that definition. And yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate to have had those experiences, right? Um, when I, and I've seen the hashtag, I've seen all the reflections. Um, when, when I think about what that hashtag or what that, forget the hashtag, what that sentiment really means to us, um, the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is, is this idea of belonging, right? And, and this, this constant battle, this constant struggle to have to, um, I wouldn't even say prove that you belong. It's almost more to, to validate your sense of belonging, right? Because at every turn, no matter what you've done to arrive there, um, there's somebody who, and, and, and so many of these things are like, uh, microaggressions and it's actually the, the subtle microaggressions that to me almost end up being worse than the, the overt questioning of your presence um, but you have to kind of deal with that a thousand paper cuts all the time you know like even MIT I mean again like, I, I, I wouldn't say this to be I want to be boastful just to make the point I showed up at MIT as a 16 year old right from Trinidad so 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 if you're thinking about it in the context of 
of, 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 of having proved your, your, your capacity, your capabilities to be there. I mean, I've kind of proven that, right? I'm there as, as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior, you always get those comments, right? About, well, you know, uh, what's the percentage of whatever, black people who might be here, or people that might be here, or if the rules were somehow different for you to have made your way into these hallowed halls, wherever those are. Um, and it can certainly be very frustrating, right? I think also when you have especially a seat at sixteen, the, yeah, as well, sixteen, twenty-six, thirty-six. You know, I'm thirty-seven yeah. now. It's equally frustrating. Uh, but yeah, certainly when you're younger, trying to figure out how you deal with those things, right? Where you just want you say to yourself, well, why would anybody question if I deserve to be here any any less than my my colleagues, my peers, my fellow students? All right, um, you don't you don't always you always get that, but certainly you know you it it thickens your skin. Um, you form some calluses along the way. I think you learn to deal with it a little bit better. I mean, sad to say, but, but certainly true. Um, and I think, you know, uh, trying to, and this is, we, we all do with it differently, but I think kind of trying to go the extra mile to um, take some of those things on, on, on your shoulders and, and, and respond to them, I think, with, with some measure of patience. And I try to kind of, well, <laughs> laugh off some of the microaggressions and then very kind of like, politely but directly explain to people sort of the circumstances of my arrival or why my perspective should matter just as much as theirs. And, you know, you kind of hope that you have an ability to sort of chip away at the problem, you know, one boardroom at a time or one classroom at a time as you, as you, as you go along. But it, it certainly is, it certainly is a, a, a very real thing, you know. Um, I was saying to, I was talking to a, a, another group of folks a couple of days ago, um, and this is related to the Black and um, um, Diary, um, notion. I was talking about this idea of the system, right? And what I was saying about the system is um, the system, if you put it in quotes, right, has been this topic of debate, right, um, from people on both sides of the, of, 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 of the divide um, for a long time. There are some people who, who refer to the system in air quotes with a bit of an eye roll, and they, and they use it as um, shorthand for excuse making, right? The system is this, is this invisible hand. It's this crutch that black people or minorities generally fall back on, right? Like, and if only they had changed their attitude or um, adjusted their approach or worked harder, somehow this system thing would cease to exist, right? Well, well, I, well I can tell you as somebody who has used, like, and I spent the last 20 years living in the ivory tower, that's complete bullshit, right? Like the system exists. And I think, I, think, I think one of the, you know, as, 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 as tragic and, and timely as the passing of George, George Floyd has been, I think what it has done for a lot of people is it's actually laid there for all to see what the system looks like in the context of, 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 of criminal justice, first and foremost, right? Like, 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 well, holy shit, like, if this actually happened to, I, I can actually see this happen to someone for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I, I, I can't explain that away. No reasonable person can explain that away. There is something that is amiss here. There's something that is wrong. Okay, well, wow, maybe this system thing, maybe there's something to it. Now let me go and try to unpack and understand like what the elements of it are. And so I would hope, and I'm bringing this back to the, the, the whole black and the ivory piece, that like you can now start to break apart the system and think about it in its requisite parts. Criminal justice, um, healthcare, education, housing, um, suffrage, your right to vote, um, corporate opportunity, right? And kind of the list goes on. I give you sort of seven, eight, nine components of the system. I think, I think sometimes as a Black person, it's, it's a little bit, it's maybe a little bit hard for us to articulate what that struggle means because for us, 
the system is all around you, right? Like um, I heard somebody right. quoting the other, you know, racism is, is in the atmosphere, it's in the mm -hmm. air, it's just by your daily existence. So it's almost hard for you to kind of break it apart and like call it, if you, if you have to call it out every single time you saw it or heard it, I mean, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be exhausted, right? So sometimes it's been hard for us to, to fully articulate and express it. Um, but now I think, and I hope people are getting a little bit of a peek behind that curtain to truly understand what that, what that looks like, you know? And so going back to this world of the ivory tower and education, corporate life, et cetera, um, my hope is that some of this new energy we're seeing right now begins to actually transit into that space as well and changes the approach of some of those who maybe have discounted our experience or credibility or every time we've raised our hands to make it known that there's some element of the system that's astray. I'm hoping that some of those things are going to start to start to, start to change. I feel like the irony of it all in even having the discussion about like black and the ivory is that black people built the ivory. And so it's like we built this ivory tower and then it we now have to play a role within it. Like so mm. many people don't I think they understand, but they don't want to go in depth about the changes that slavery made on the world. And 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 I try to play devil's advocate because I'm like, okay, well, slavery kind of always existed. You look at the Roman Empire, yada, 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 yada. But it's so different. Like, like even thinking about rum, and I was talking about this when we had our call, and, and sugar. The demand for sugar changed the world. It created this huge need for slaves. And it was pure greed and capitalism in order to now have sweets and have all these things that weren't, you know, typically in the European English diet. I won't even say English, European diet. And now when we say, you know, oh, well, these things are wrong. You, this person has had a leg up. People are like, oh, pull yourself up from the bootstraps. I think the next time someone says that to me, I'm going to say, okay, be my slave then. I think that's what I'm going to do. Because that's the, only, that's the only way Black people can pull ourselves up from the, the bootstraps is to get yeah. a, a, a leg up of however many hundreds of years. It Literally. So blows you, my so mind. You, so, 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 so metaphorically, right, you're told to build this massive tower, right? Then you're escorted outside, <laughs> right? You spend a couple hundred years knocking on the door, right? Asking every which way. And you keep on getting told, um, you're not asking the right way. Try this other way. Oh, no, you're asking like this. That way doesn't work, right? Keep trying. And you, well, well, shit, like after a certain period in time, well, how many times do you want me to ask? But by the way, as you said, Shade, like, 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 for the very thing that I have been part of the fabric of, of creating, of building, right? Um, you know, it, it shouldn't be hard, but, we, you know, we find ourselves where we find ourselves and it has proven to be hard. I think, you know, at least I, I myself, I, I think others are going to approach this with some sense of optimism that maybe something is, maybe some changes in the wind. You're seeing a couple of signs of it, a couple of embers here and there. And, you know, it's on us as in our generation to kind of like make sure that real lasting systemic change actually takes root in, right? Some real permanence. Are you a believer of building your own tower? And I don't just say that in terms of like your own business, but just like a complete pulling the rug up and just starting anew with our, within our own systems. You mean as black, as black people? Yes. Sort of. I'm trying so, to invite so, you to the commune. <laughs> 
everyone is getting vetted so here we are and i i think this interview is going well yeah, well, I'm saying like this. Uh, this actually is the interview it turns out, right? That is what you realize, you know. Sometimes it's better to do these things when you don't actually know you're being interviewed for that purpose. Um, you know, the, to, to me, there's some merit to that, right? And by what by that, what I mean is, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe in this idea of creating a a parallel state or a parallel society, right? Which to me would almost be like the, the extreme version of, okay, you have your tower, I have mine. Um, and, and so we shall, you know, kind of almost back to the separate but equal kind of kind of notion. That, that's not really where, where my head would be at. Um, but, but what I think we need to do is we have to establish a much better um, pipeline. Um, uh, we, we, you talked about pulling the, all, all these visual metaphors, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or, or, or pulling the ladder up from, from under you, right? Which I think is something we hear a lot about kind of in the black community as well. Um, I think we need more heroes. Uh, I think we need more mentorship, right? Um, I think a lot of our heroes, and by the way, this would be totally, I, I could say this in a Trinidadian context or in a, um, in a US central context, but I think we as black people need more heroes, you know? Um, um, yes, for sure, the magic of a, of a LeBron or a, or a MJ or, you know, a Jay-Z, right? Like, 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 like in music and sports stuff, we have, we have enough heroes there. But, you know, entrepreneurs, um, um, businessmen or women, um, folks who have really kind of picked up the mantle when it comes to advancing our collective, um, our collective well-being and like civil rights and other forms of advocacy, right? Like, 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 like to me, it's, and, and I've, again, I've been here for 20 years, right? So my adult life has been here. It's always been very hard for me to find a way to like connect the dots from where I am in my life journey to, you know, the equivalent of, you know, maybe some, maybe a white person saying like the next Warren Buffett or the next Bill Gates or the next world famous surgeon, right? So like, how do we create a much more, much more continuity, right? In that sort of, in, 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 that, in that realm of kind of development, right? Like, like as you said, so the people aren't just saying, all right, well, I just, I made it. Now I'm all set. Let me pull up the, let me pull the ladder from under me. I don't care who's coming up behind me, right? Like, like there, there really isn't enough of that in my mind. And so when you talk about, I, I think less of a tower and more of a pipeline. And that I think we need to invest in really, really heavily, right? Because nobody is going to, nobody's going to do that for you. We have to kind of do that ourselves. You passed. passed. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm in. What do I? What do I win? What do I win? That we will discuss offline. <laughs> she she can't so disclose crazy. the location <laughs> of the <laughs> commune. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, this yeah. is Marcus Garvey. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that conversation kind of relates to our "What Would You Do," which is yeah. kind of perfect. Um, so Mark, we get listener letters. Um, our listeners range from like young people to older people, um, men, women, everything in between. And we got a listener letter from a younger person um, and they wrote, hi, BGT, I love the podcast. Um, looking for some advice. I am a 4.0 student at a top boarding school in the Northeast. I wanted to apply to Harvard but now with all the black and the ivory posts, I am rethinking my decision. I've already spent four years at this very white boarding school and I'm considering applying to Howard or another HBCU. I know Chelsea and Shade went to very white colleges and high schools and Glenn went to Howard. What would you all say I should do? 
So they're looking for advice. Some, some advice. So, so uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm answering that question. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm we, we are all happen. Okay. So, do so you want me to go first or last or what? It doesn't matter. You tell us. Do you have, you do you have some, some thoughts? You ready? Yeah, I mean, I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. go for it. Um, I would... Uh, <laughs> um, I would say that well, first of all, to me, there's no wrong answer, right? Whether you want to go to, I know incredible people who've been to Harvard, obviously, I've, I've studied with them. I know incredible people who've been to Howard. Tons of trainees go to Howard. Clinton, Clinton will know that for sure, right? So, yes. <laughs> um, um, and I think ultimately so much of this comes down to, um, your, again, your investment in your own self, in your own development, carving your own path, surrounding yourself with the right mentors and the right people. So to me, if your dream was to go to Howard, apply to Howard. But if your dream was to go to Harvard, apply to Harvard. Like, like I actually don't think any of this black in the Ivy stuff should, should throw you off of that. I, I think, look, you know, now is not a moment in time for us as black people to, 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 to be shrinking violet, so to speak, right? Like, we cannot shy away from the opportunity. And yeah, there is, God knows, there is frustration. Um, and there has been frustration around all of us and our parents and our grandparents, again, for decades and for centuries, and for centuries right? But like, yo, somebody has to go be on the front lines of these problems. And so you're, you have a 4.0, um, you've been an incredible student, that's been part of your dream. I think the most important, as, as I heard that letter, that narrative, the most important to me there is, you should not let anyone stand in the way of you accomplishing what you want to accomplish. So yeah, absolutely, go forth, do it, be part of the change, educate folks there. Again, hopefully we're at a moment in time where people are willing to listen and sort of like try to rectify maybe some of those those past feelings and you know you'll have a great experience yeah i think it comes down to the type of college experience that you're looking to have listener um if you believe that and you likely will have to engage in those conversations and hold people accountable as you said mark and if and if that's something that you don't really want to be responsible for during your college experience that's something to think about like there's so many there, there's just the way I listen to some of my friends talk about their college experiences and I'm like, wow, I never thought about any of that. I, none of that was a consideration. I showed up as Glenn on the first day. There were definitely you other things. You went to an HBCU. Yes. Mm -hmm. There were things that I think, there were, there were different understandings that I had of my blackness when I got there though, um, in a really like amazing way. Um, because I was exposed to so many diverse forms of blackness, diasporically, regionally. Um, so that there were times when I was like, oh, wow, I'm at this like really Southern party and I don't know any of this music. I feel kind of strange, but like it's never was the same kind of tension. So I don't know, it's something to think about. And I also feel like when we talk about that pipeline and like reaching back, um, that was one of the main reasons I, I chose Howard because of that network. My mom went to Howard and I'd seen all of the friends that she had from there, the times that she would just walk me into her friend's offices and they would give me an internship. Like that type of stuff was happening because of the community. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really great point though, Mark. Like if this was your dream, don't, don't like shy away from it. It sounds like this is something that they've always wanted. Yeah. I agree. I think if it were, if it's your dream to go to Harvard and like the only reason why you're questioning it now is because of that hashtag. I mean, you've, you went to a, an elite boarding school in the Northeast, so I'm sure you already know what's to come or something similar um, and have experience with that, which is good for you in some ways. Some people are thrown into that environment with having no experience and, and you're going to come equipped, you know, understanding how to move in those spaces. Um, but I also think 
it is beautiful. It's kind of beautiful in a way that now your eyes have been exposed that there is another great option too, because I think um, Howard is an amazing school. And I, I, for one, would love to see our top students choose to go to a Howard. You know, I remember when I was going, when I was in high school and I thought my, uh, my college, um, whoever the college person is that suggests schools, I thought they were being racist when they kept saying like, what about these HBCUs? I was like, why do you keep showing me HBCUs? But now thinking back on it, that would have been a great experience. And like, it's, it's a great space for you to grow, especially in that age. Um, and it's not to say you don't have to, you can't go to Harvard afterwards. You know, you can pursue Harvard in the rest of your education as well. So I think both options are amazing. I'm glad that now you're considering another option. Um, but as, I, as everyone said, if your dream was Harvard, go for it. But both options are great. And I don't know if you all heard of that basketball player. He's like yeah. the top basketball player and he's considering going to an HBCU. I think that's mm -hmm. amazing. And I'm, I'm personally hoping that our most talented people choose to go to these black schools. No, I think that's some really dope stuff. I mean, we have a history of dope things coming out of HBCUs, coming out of Howard, but like this could be a really crazy time to be at an HBCU. Like the mm -hmm. types of movements, types of organizing, types of conversations, the types of relationships, crazy. Right, but yeah. your voice will also be extremely valuable in very white, very rich spaces as well. So I think, I mean, you're a smart person, Mr. <laughs> Miss 4.0 on both sides of the coin. But I think the most important thing is to sit with yourself and try to understand what some of those anxieties that you have around this concept of the ivory tower are. And in understanding what that is, is that something that you feel comfortable continuing on with? Because I, unfortunately, not to be like negative Nancy, I feel like it's kind of inevitable. Rome wasn't built in a day and like a lot of these things aren't gonna change overnight. Um, but unfortunately I feel, it's going to sound so rude, that the HBCU experience is kind of like a blissful, ignorant, capsulated point of time. And when you leave that, you then it's go back me. into, what <laughs> you like, no, that's a hard, no, I'm saying in terms true. of like, in terms of the, the no thing, okay, well, I'm going to go to HBCU because I don't want to have to deal with like microaggressions from white people in my four years of college. That's great. But when you leave college and when you are not on campus, like that's still gonna happen. And so- Yeah, but we have straight up conversations in our classrooms like, okay, y'all are about to go off in your internships this summer. This is what's about to happen. This is, this, this, these are the conversations you're going to be having. Mm -hmm. They're like very straightforward with us. So I think you get- I'm not saying that no one's educating you on mm -hmm. it happening. I'm just saying like, that is a, that's a, in my opinion, a utopia. <laughs> but I mean to be fair some of these commune. very white schools that's not real life either you know like I went to Colgate University and I was mm -hmm. the only black girl in so many of my classes and while I've had that experience at some jobs that's not the real world either like you know what I'm saying that's like a fake bubble that was built for them it's a fake um, bubble that's built for them but underlying probably most of the uh, corporations that you're going to be at that is the reality because the powers that be that make those rooms move are the same people at a Colgate yeah I definitely see what's where you're coming from but I would just say 
how beautiful will it be to have those four years where like you're just surrounded by like all these different kinds of black people like that's yeah. so cool and like what- I agree with you I agree I just I just don't want this person to feel like that is like a band-aid and and I yeah. I feel as though you can go either way um but eventually you are gonna have to in my opinion address the the elephant in the room which is white supremacy um and okay Marquisa <laughs> no it's true <laughs> which is true and so um I had an interesting conversation actually today with a VP at my company. There's only nine black VPs at my company. And there's been obviously a lot of conversation around, I work for Facebook. Um, I just am trying not to get fired, but I don't know, whatever. Um, A brown um, Mark Zuckerberg's decisions to not um, remove like hate speech or like Mm -hmm. extreme kind of like white supremacist rhetoric off of the platform and um one of the vps was asked how do i talk to a prospective employee about wanting to come here why would anyone want to come here and he said something along the lines of being a part of the battle like within the war room and i was like at first i was like that's bullshit. But then <laughs> after I thought about it, I was like, that is true. It's, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword though. So just- It's a choice. You can like be the person who's like, I want a seat at the table or like be the person yeah. who's like, fuck the table. I'm going to build my own table. I don't even think it's a seat at the table though. I think in, in the way people are speaking and I don't believe any of this shit, but in the way people are speaking, it's, a, it's truly- holding people accountable and taking action. So it's not just like seat at the table. It's this can no longer go on. This is what we need to do for black people and implementing true action yeah. changes, not just like talking about it. But I don't know. And you're know. saying that like people of color who join the company should be doing that. Like people- Right. That's the idea. Yeah. I'm moving away from that idea. I watched this interview with Toni Morrison where she was like, racism is not my problem. Like, y'all deal with that. And that's really how I'm starting to feel. My job, it's a global fashion company. And they asked me, who's been at the job not that long, and it's not my job, to create a list of resources and write a, a message that they sent to the whole company. That is preposterous. It is. That and is like, that's pretty wild. Crazy to me. <laughs> it's very crazy. <laughs> and um, now I'm just like, like I don't actually read job. books. I don't know anything. I'd be like, like what are you? All like, I care like, about why is did you assume that I have a resource a resource list? Whole time you should have gave him some wild books, just some wild shit. But I guess what we're all saying, listener, is you have some reflecting to do, but it seems like your future is bright and any road that you choose to go on, you will be great. You also don't have to stay at a school for four years. You could go, you could start at one and go to another. You could do whatever you want. You actually don't even have to go to college, frankly, but whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't want to at this point. <laughs> Who knows what's happening in this world. That's another scam uh, along with yeah. insurance, but whatever. <laughs> oh Lord, she's been in quarantine too long. 
Well, Mark, uh, can you, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners? Anything that you may be working on where they can find you? Um, anything? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, well, just where they can find us. Like I said, we, we launched in New York uh, just about a year ago. Um, so whenever <laughs> the, the apocalypse is over, I feel like we're in one bad movie layered on top of another bad movie on top of <laughs> another bad movie right now, you know. But um, whenever the apocalypse is over, we're in about, about 200 spots around New York City. Um, actually, if you go to the 10 to 1 Rum website, you'll be able to find a bar, restaurant, hotel near you. Um, you, can, you can actually find us online. Um, so uh, on our e-commerce site, people can just order bottles uh, anywhere in New York, New Jersey. We'll actually soon be nationwide uh, by, the end of, by the end of June. So that'll be super exciting. Wow. Easiest way to Easiest way to just uh, to, to, to cop a little 10 to 1 regardless of where you are. And then we're, we're launching some new markets soon. So we are um, launching Chicago next month. Um, we actually have product now in, in Miami, uh, California soon, uh, New Jersey as well. So um, hopefully Wisconsin and Minnesota actually. So, so doing a little Midwest swing. So hopefully seven, eight states by, uh, by the fall. And then, yeah, the easiest way to kind of get started and learn some more about the brand is just check us out online, you know, follow us on Twitter, 10 to 1 Rum. And, um, you know, I think people ask me a lot of times, you know, what it takes to, to, to build a brand, hopefully build a successful brand in this space. And I tell them that, you know, yeah, everybody wants to get the press and all that stuff. And we've gotten that, which is dope. But, but I think of this very much as a, as a roll up your sleeves kind of business. You know, you, you want to kind of build it one relationship at a time you know, one loyal customer at a time, you know, you try the product, you like it, you share it with someone else. So, um, and, and we've seen that be super effective in the area we've been in market. So um, anybody who's listening, who's inclined to, you know, get out there and support a young Caribbean dude who's trying to do something different in the space. Yeah, go out and grab a bottle, try it. Um, I'm, I'm certain you'll love it. I don't have a money back guarantee for you, but I'm pretty certain you like it. And uh, the BGT shared, shared loves it. it. I highly mm-hmm. recommend. Mm-hmm. In fact, my father exactly. finished my bottle. <laughs> we got to organize another one for pop so, right? He was like, man, this is good. <laughs> you can just oh, drink this, God. just pour it on out. I was like, yeah, I know. It's good. As you just did. And then he comes <laughs> over I'll, I'll with literally. There's literally a drop left, and he's like, "You don't want the rest of this, right?" I was like, "No, I, I don't." Trifling. I know ours, <laughs> our, but I have half a bottle left, and it would have yeah. been done, but I'm on a 30-day no drinking thing. Um, but once I'm done, it'll be finished. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be waiting right there for you, ready to be celebrated. You know? So yes. yeah. No, I'm glad, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys love it so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really love talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, really fun to hang out for an hour or so and and chop it up a little bit. So hopefully we can do this again soon. And we got to kick it in real life and do a happy hour action sooner or later, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yes, absolutely. My boyfriend actually just came in here and took the bottle, so. He's Uh, drinking? Oh, so you're not drinking, but he's drinking? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Solidarity. Right. Solidarity. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, damn. Right. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. And we will keep in touch. Oh, also, listeners, there's a really cool, like, texting feature that 10 to 1 mm-hmm. does. Yeah. I personally Your use it. Yeah, the Limeline. So we can share that when the episode airs. And you can actually text the number and let them know what, what um, ingredients you have. And they'll organize a drink for you. 
Yes, yes. I was trying Summer to do it. around the corner. Yeah, I it's was trying time. to do an accent, and then I. Oh, oh, oh! I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. You want to try that again? And organize a drink for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the that was good. Bad. Yeah. Wait, oh, I haven't yeah. done it in so long. When I was little, it was like a party trick. My mom would be like, "Say something like a trinity." <laughs> <laughs> say something like a trini the, 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 the say something like a trini that's interesting yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, seem yeah, really yeah. good boarding school we, 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 we got you back we got you back <laughs> yeah. yes. thank you bye bye bye, bye. Talk to you soon. bye.